We are in part 22 of our Being Jesus series that we've been going through this year, and I entitled today's message, One in a Million. If you have uh, one of our bulletins that has a fill-in-the-blank on it, let me just lead with this. If you want to just fill that out, uh, maybe you maybe have that, maybe you don't. Let me just give you this simple statement. God heals what needs to be healed. God heals what needs to be healed. And yet not everything is healed. What does that suggest to you? It may well suggest that not everything needs to be healed. That is challenging to understand. As a matter of fact, this is something that that all of us wrestle with. You have to wrestle with this question if you're going to be anywhere around the church. Because at some point you pick up the idea that some people are healed and some people are not. Some things are healed and some things are not. You have to deal with the very issue that the world is crying out at the church, which is how do you explain that you have a good God and yet there is suffering in the world? How is there such constant pain and woundedness and terrible things happening if you tell me you have a good God? If he is a good God, then are you telling me he is impotent to do anything about it, that he has no power to react? Are you telling me that he is unloving? What are you telling me? And yet what we say is, Our God is good all the time, that our God indeed loves extravagantly, and yet not everything is fixed. Why not? So we're going to talk a little bit about the issue of suffering today, as well as the issue of healing. We've been talking about healing a lot. Guess why? It's in the Bible. (laughs) If it's in the Bible, we're going to keep talking about it. And Jesus seemed to heal an awful lot, so we're going to keep talking about it. But this one is different. This one kind of brings up another side of the issue that may be very challenging for us. Uh, So let us go ahead and dive right into God's Word. It's John chapter 5, verse 1. Well, you can turn there with me. John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, and I'll just read the, the first portion here and kind of explain along the way. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Let's begin right there. There was a feast of the Jews. Now, the Jews had a lot of feasts. Remember, God instituted partying, right? It was mandated partying time. It was, you're not going to work, you're going to kick back, and you're going to relax, and you're going to understand, I am God and I am providing for you, and I am good. And so periodically, they would have feasts throughout the year. Well, there was three big ones. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. Those were so important that if you were within a certain vicinity of Jerusalem and you were a male, you were mandated by law to go pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You got to celebrate it in the holy city. Now, if you were just a good Jewish guy, you would lead your family, whether you were close or not. And we notice that Jesus shows up. It says that he went up to Jerusalem. That is always, anytime the Bible says up, it means in elevation. Jerusalem is more on a mountaintop. So you go up to Jerusalem. He goes up there for a festival, and it seems that he is alone. Now, if there was anybody that didn't need to go to a festival, it was Jesus. Because he has the most connection with the Father on the earth. There's nobody more connected 
to his heavenly father. So why is he going to this? Because for a lot of us, we do Christian-y things because we think we're supposed to, and it's a responsibility. What if we had this paradigm shift? We did it because we wanted to. What if the way that Jesus looked at it was the way that we looked at it? What if he said, wait, 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 there's going to be a big party that's talking about my father being glorified. Why in the world would I not show up at that? Wait, wait, wait. All my people that I love are in one location. Why would I not go to that? Of course I want to go. You're going to throw something that's honoring to my father. I'm in. Let's go. What if we went to church and we were excited and passionate and couldn't wait to go? What if the whole idea of being in a small group environment, missional community was exciting to us? What if the idea of being connected and going to an event was a blast? Maybe we wanted to read the word, wanted to worship, wanted to do it, right? That's really what we're headed towards. Why wouldn't we want to do that stuff? Huh? He shows up and he goes to a specific location. It says in verse 2, Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool. Now, in Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. All right, so where is this? If you think about the old school Jerusalem Square, the old city, on the northern side, there was a small opening in the wall that was known as the Sheep Gate. That was mentioned in Nehemiah. And why was it called the Sheep Gate? Because... Sheep went through it. Okay, it's not rocket science. The the sheep were led through it as the sacrificial lambs for the temple. That was kind of their way for the shepherds to get the sheep into the city. It's very practical. Now, what's intriguing is in that northern area, there was a pool. Now, one commentary said, notice that the Greek word for pool means to dive, meaning it wasn't a shallow little toddler pool. It was a big old pool. Well, what are they doing with that? That's not a normal thing around the Jewish complex. They have a large pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which means house of mercy or house of grace. Do you realize that the Bible is written in three languages? Hebrew is usually the Old Testament. Greek, the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, there is sprinkled Aramaic. This is one of those times. The name Bethesda has been debated by scholars, but in general, a lot of them think this may be it. And it means house of mercy and grace. What's ironic is what I'm about to say next is not going to make you feel like it's a house of grace or a house of mercy. But by the time I get done with the end of this message, I think you'll see it as such. It says there were five roofed colonnades. Why did John even mention that? Because it's weird. It's weird because normally there'd be four roofed colonnades. Where'd you get the fifth? What's a colonnade? It's a row of columns that holds up a shade structure so you have a covered walkway. It's basically a, um, a covering over an area to hang out. Now, there were five of them. Why? Because it was two pools together, and they actually had a partition in the middle that allowed for another colonnade. So it made it a little bit unusual, a little bit different. Now, this was a special area because it brought in unusual people. Let's take a look at the next line. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Well, that's kind of odd. 
Why do we have hundreds of diseased, wounded, paralyzed people? Why would they all gather around a pool? That seems odd when the majority of them cannot swim. What are they doing there? Well, this is fascinating. Have you noticed that there's a verse missing out of your Bible? If you take a look at it, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5, right? Now, that's not a magic trick. I didn't suck it out when you weren't looking. (laughs) There is no original manuscript that we have before AD 400 that contains this verse. So you'll notice it's not in there. So what did it say? Well, actually, here's what it says. Let me read verse 3 and then blend into verse 4. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Does that sound weird? It should. It's weird. What's going on? Seriously? This is what happened. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people like, well, you know what? This is the superstition that was going on at the time. A scribe later on put that in there explaining the superstition of the people. That was really, it was over a mineral deposit and the minerals would bubble up water every once in a while and everybody thought that they would get healed, right? This isn't what it really meant. Okay. I'm going to suggest that even though verse four is missing, verse seven is there and you're going to find out everybody believe this and you're going to find a man who was likely there for over 30 years. You think he would have picked up on that? It was a bubbler. (laughs) I think at some point he would have not hung out there. As a matter of fact, even after the destruction of Jerusalem, this area was known as a healing area, even for the Romans. There's something weird about this location and hundreds of people gathered around, but let's now make it practical in our mind. Let's enter into the emotion of the scenario. Here's how it would really look. All the people are wounded and hurting and an angel of the Lord comes down and goes, all right, you guys, everybody on the count of three, ready? Here we go. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. And then everyone goes, ah, they all hobble and try to run as fast as they can or wheel in as fast as they can. Everybody dives in the pool and the first guy gets healed. Everyone else just gets wet. Does that not sound mean? It's like the worst Olympics ever. Would God really do that? I mean, that's pretty twisted. It's that, it's that, and that's why nobody wants to say that God would do that. Go, no, 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 that was superstition. That didn't really happen. Really? So everyone was misled and laid in the place where it occurred for decades. Oh, no, I think it happened. You go, well, God would never do that. That's, I mean, that's like one in a million. I know. What you're going to find out is God did do that. Watch what happens why are all these people hurting? Why is there so much suffering? Right? I mean, can we, can we talk about that honestly? Why is there suffering in this world? Because, I don't know. God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts, my thoughts. I'm not going to pretend like I know how this whole thing works. I'm not going to tell you that I have all the answers. I'm not going to tell you why you are suffering. I'm not going to tell you why some people are healed and other people are not healed conclusively. What I'm going to suggest to you is that I have some educated guesses. Here's a few things that I've been able to pick up along the way. 
we do realize that all suffering is loosely related to sin in the fact that Adam and Eve screwed up and we all got hijacked, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not blaming them. We would have made the same decision. What I'm saying is our world has been going into chaos ever since. So we know that when God made Adam and Eve, he made them perfect. He made them awesome. He made them satisfied. He made them beautiful. And yet somehow we wrecked our world. So yeah, loosely, it's all kind of tied to that concept. But I think that one major reason why we suffer in this world is because God loves us. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, I've used this before, so if you've heard this, I apologize for my redundancy. These are my common answers to why they're suffering. I think it's because God loves us. Here's why. God wanted to create a being that would love him back. And the only way to have someone love you back is to be able to have a choice not to love you back. And if they have a choice not to love you back, they have a choice to do horrible things. They have a choice to say no to God. And if they'll say no to God, what are they going to do to people? I would suggest to you there's an awful lot of suffering in this world because people make bad decisions. Let me give you an example on why that is. There's a lot of third world countries that don't have enough food and people are starving and dying in the streets. But it's not because their land cannot support them. It's that their government is so corrupt they cannot get the food that is being made in their land. That is the choice of a person wrecking the lives of another person. Let's talk about all the abuse that happens in the world. That is a choice that one person makes upon another person. Let's talk about the ideas of how we create things to destroy our bodies. There is a lot of suffering in this world because of options and choice. But for God to do otherwise would make us robots. And then there is no connection whatsoever between us and him in the same way that he set up. So I think that God loves us and therefore we can hurt each other. I think another reason is this. um, And I've also shared this. uh, Y'all know I'm a comic book nerd, right? Everybody clear on that? All right, cool. If you're not, there you go. I grew up on comic books. I love comic books. I love superheroes, that whole thing. Well, um, All superheroes in the old school, they all went the same way. It was the same story. It was always a bank robber. Bank robbers with a mask, they come in, they hold up at gunpoint, the teller, they get the bag of money because it was always in large bags with dollar signs on it for some reason. And then they would uh, try to escape and then in comes a superhero. We'll use Superman because most of you are familiar with him. Superman flies in, he beats up the bad guys, they all end up in jail and then the cops are shaking his hand and it's a heroic tale that Superman saved the day. This is how it works. And we would all agree that is a good story. Ooh, there is tension and drama. And you know what? He saved the day. Yay, Superman. That is only a heroic tale if told from Superman being the central character. If the central character is the teller, it's a tragedy. Here's why. She went to work. She's only 19 years old. She went to work like every other day. She's unsure of herself in the first place. And then someone comes and pulls a gun on her. Now, if that really happened, she saw her life flash before her eyes. If that really happened, she's messed up. What did I do wrong? Why did they come and pick on me? And then there was the fear of what if I die here? And not knowing what these men would do with her. Do they just want the money or do they want to harm her in any other way? Are they going to kill me? Sure enough, Superman comes and saves the day, but she still has to live with what just occurred. So she now has to process this and sift it through counseling. This is not a heroic tale. If you switch the main character out, the story goes from hero to tragedy. 
You and I are not the main character in this story. God is the main character in our story. And if you switch that out, this life looks like a tragedy. You try to read the book of Job where Job is the main character. Go ahead. How's that working for you? You going to do your devotions on that? I don't think so. Why? Because Job's life stunk. It was horrible. Here's a guy who all his children are murdered, that God allowed Satan to kill them. And they had what? He then gets all these sores on his body and he's completely distraught and he's wounded and his marriage is falling apart and he's laying there in the dirt and God talks to him. Well, that sounds awesome. How is that a heroic tale? Because it's not about Job at all. It's about God. God is a central character in all the stories. God said that brought him glory. How could that be? Because Satan was in the picture. Satan was causing the problems. What was Satan trying to do? He's trying to accuse and say, this guy will never worship you if I take away all his good stuff. And he said, really, let me demonstrate to you what it looks like to actually have someone that loves me. Go ahead, tear him apart because you, Lucifer, had everything from me. You were my closest companion. You were the one, the pinnacle of my creation. You were a cherubim by my throne. You were to be my bodyguard from my glory, not destroying the world. And you would bring back the glory that was due me, but you kept some of it. You were brilliant and mighty and wonderful and you didn't worship. Go ahead. Take a look at Job. Go ahead. He got none of that. He never saw me. He's barely ever heard me. All he knows is that he loves me. And you're going to tear him apart and watch. He won't crack. You cracked. He won't crack. Watch what happens. And all of creation saw that a man loved God more than he loved his life. And the glory rose. That is only a fascinating story of God as a central character. Here in this life, we are but a vapor. We are seeing but a snapshot, a small window into the bigger story. If you saw the bigger story, you'd get it, but we don't. We only get to see a tiny snapshot and we keep trying to make determinations about the goodness of God on a snapshot. Have you ever taken your kids to get a shot? Here's what you did. You took your kids to a scary place. They don't want to go. You put them into a room with people they do not know. You told those people it's okay to jam a sharp object into your child. Not only are you not stopping them, you seem to be encouraging it. Yeah? In that moment, are you safe to the child? Absolutely not. In that moment, are you good in the child's eyes? Absolutely not. The purpose is, if they were to make a determination on your parenting skills, in that moment, you would fail. But why are you doing it? Because there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture of protection. There's a bigger picture of love. There's a bigger picture of care and concern. We are making so many determinations by what is going on in our lives and we're allowing our circumstances to dictate our theology and we keep saying God is not a good God because he's not fixing our stuff. Oh, God heals what needs to be healed. We are not going very fast. <laughs> Let's go to verse five. I've always argued for a two and a half hour service, but the children's workers were about to stone me. Verse five. One man was there in this crazy place of the wounded. 
there who had been an invalid, that's just a general word for disabled, for 38 years. That's a long time. That's almost four decades. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I want you to see a couple things. Number one, Jesus saw him in his pain. Because here's what we get wrong. God, I'm suffering. Don't you see me? Yeah, I see you. You're right there. Well, if you saw me, you'd do something about it. Would I now? You sure? I thought I was supposed to do what was best. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But as long as you do what I want and it's best, that's cool. God, you've abandoned me. No, I didn't. I'm right here. I'm with you in your pain. You remember the story where Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him and there was a storm on the lake and they were rowing like crazy and they couldn't get anywhere. They were frustrated and angry and tired and wet. Where was Jesus? He was watching the whole time on the shoreline. Why didn't he do anything about it? Because he wasn't supposed to. Now he comes out to them later walking on the water and that creates a whole new story and it was important to do so, but he saw them. No, no, no. God sees you in your pain. What's so hard for us to grasp is that he sees and does not act. That's too much for us to grasp. We would rather have him be ignorant. We'd rather have him be clueless than sovereign. Do you want to be healed? Is this mean? I don't know, genius. 38 years of paralysis. Yeah, of course I want to be healed. Why would you ask me such a stupid question? Well, I think Jesus is seeing it a little deeper. Have you ever thought about the platform that is necessary for healing? You ever thought about the, what consequences of being healed? Here's the platform. This is what I mean. Let us say, for example, a man was livid, angry, ferocious against his wife. He thought that she had been cheating. He gets drunk. He grabs a gun and he is driving on his way home to kill her. Along the way, he gets into a car accident and he is paralyzed and he's in the hospital. He is now a quadriplegic. And the whole time he's laying in his bed, his hatred for his wife, who's now his ex-wife, grows and grows and grows. But then one day he's healed. What is he going to do? He's going to carry out that same hatred and kill his wife. You sure healing is the best thing? Would that solve all of his problems or does that not lead to a worse scenario? There needs to be a platform created by which the healing would be a blessing and not a curse. Let's use this guy's example. How many skills does he have after 38 years of laying around? Because I'll tell you this, the moment that guy gets healed, you're on, dude. We're not supporting you. You can't beg. You're legit. Go ahead. What are you going to do? Get a job. Well, I can't get a job. I don't really have any education. Well, you know what? That's your problem. You need to go to healed college and figure it out. Get on a fast track. You, gotta, you better do something, right? ITT, somebody needs to get moving here because I'm not supporting you, right? But he doesn't have any instantaneous ability to work with his healing. What would it mean? That's the consequences of the healing. Do you have any idea that when you get healed, it doesn't exactly go like you thought it would go? You get healed and everybody's got an opinion. The man that was born blind, he ended up getting healed and got kicked out of the, what? The synagogue. He got kicked out of the, out of the church, got kicked out of all the culture because he got healed. He didn't do anything wrong. All he did was get healed. You always think that if you get healed, it's going to be cool. What if no one believes you? 
What if everyone thinks you did something wrong? What if everybody thinks you're like Jesus, demonic? What if everybody has a problem with you? What if your life turns upside down? What if everything goes bad for you? You never even thought about that. You always thought that healing would be an awesome idea. What if it's not? I think it's a very fair question to ask. Hey, man, you didn't ask me for healing. I went and came up to you. Do you want to be healed? This is going to wreck your life. I think that's fair. Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. So did he really believe that that was a healing agent? Yeah, absolutely did. That's what he's been laying for the whole time. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm going, you know, there's steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Now the bed was like a little stretcher made out of straw, lightweight. He's been laying on this thing for 38 years. Get up, take it. Dude, you don't need your spot anymore. I get every time somebody dies in front of you, you kind of take their spot. Right? And then you inch forward to get closer and closer to the pool so that you can dive in really fast. You know what? You're done here. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. At once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. No faith required. It's called an act of grace. But here's the troubling part, and this is what is so hard for us. We can't get our minds around how healing works. Why is it one time? Why is it not another? If you say you can heal, why can't you heal every time? Blah, 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 blah. Here's why. Because God just hijacks whatever plan you have. He just out of nowhere comes in and goes, ha ha, and then just bombs your idea. And then you're like, well, I can't get my hands around it. That's because he's God and you're not, right? So he's going to go, you know what? Periodically, I'm just going to mess with you. I'm just now going to heal this person, heal this person. Oh, not healing that person, not healing that person there. Now, now what do you think? No, you can't track me. No, I'm all over the place. I'm doing stuff for such a high level reason. You couldn't even understand if I explained it to you, but there was no faith required here. That's why there's always a lot of discussions about, you know, well, it can only happen if there's faith on it. Well, you know what? No, God actually provided the faith provided the will provided the healing it was kind of a full service deal this guy had no idea who it was he comes walking up asks him some weird question says he gets to be healed and he's like okay and then all of a sudden he can walk that's weird then look what happens so the jews that's the leaders said to the man who had been healed it's a sabbath it's not lawful for you to take up your bed what Okay, now we've talked about this enough. I'm not getting into this anymore. But y'all remember that they made 39 different rules of work where you can't do on the Sabbath. One of them was carrying anything. All right? So you can't carry anything. They literally had a debate on whether you could have a pin in your robe. Right? If you got a pin, you're carrying something. That's carrying a burden, man. Are you going to... And here's the problem. The penalty they made for carrying something from a public place to your private home is stoning by death. Okay, so we're not messing around. It's like, uh, we'll just kill you. Well, that, that's horrible, right? So here's the interesting thing. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who said, take up your bed and walk? Nobody stopped to go, you were healed? That's cool. <laughs> they don't even care. Just blow right past it. Why are you doing it wrong? Why are you doing it like that? What's wrong with you? What, who said that you could break the law? Who said? And they're completely blinded to anything good going on. And they just blow right past it and there's a problem. Well, that's messed up. What's going on here? 
Now the man who had healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. You know what the word withdrawn is in Greek to dodge. This is what it means. Jesus was like, I healed you. Smoke bomb, ninja move. And he's like, shoulder roll. And he flips out and he just, why? Cause the whole place is loaded with hurting people. The minute you heal one dude, now we have a mass mob on our hands and everybody's like, ah, and they're all diving on him. And so he sneaks out and ha ha, you know, he's running away and he bails out. Imagine that. What? Why would Jesus do that? I thought the whole point was Jesus was going to heal everybody he came in contact with. No, he doesn't. That's another problem. Oh, Jesus healed everybody he came in contact with. No, he didn't. Do you understand? Here's how the story works. He stepped over how many people to get to that dude? Excuse me, sir. Pardon me. Whoa. Hey, hold on. Hold on. Whoa. Watch out. Whoa. Sorry about that. Right? And you, everyone else still sick. And then he bails out. Well, that's weird. Here's the funny thing. We got so offended by the whole pool analogy, right? God would never do that. Heal one person. He just did. So does he really do that? Yes, he does. How is that a good idea? Because the healing of physical bodies isn't the biggest deal. Whether their body is healed and they go to hell doesn't factor. So is healing important? Yeah. Is it the most important? Absolutely not. And so Jesus will go through and go, yes, out of my mercy and out of my grace. Yeah, sure. I'll hijack my plan and I'll heal you sometimes. Sometimes I won't. So I guess the story for me is more powerful for looking at it of Ned in 1B. Here's what I mean. Rick, who just got healed, was in 1A. Ned in 1B didn't. And here's how his story goes. Hey, where's Rick today? Dude, he got healed. When did he get healed? Yesterday. You were there. What? What do you mean? Seriously? Yeah, he got healed. You were out getting a soda. (laughs) You came back, man. He's gone. He got healed. By who? By that Jesus dude, that Messiah guy. Wait, the Messiah guy was here? And he was right next to me. And he didn't heal me. What's wrong with me? Are we all playing the game? All right. I think that's a more fascinating story. What do you do with that? What if you're not healed? That's really hard. I know that. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Um, Why was he in the temple? Probably to get a clean bill of health. This guy has been sick guy for 38 years. Everybody knows him. He's unclean. Well, now he's been healed, so he's going to go get a clean bill of health so he can reenter society. So he's probably in there. Maybe he's thanking God. I don't know. But Jesus said to him, see, you're well. Look, awesome. I told you you're going to be well. You're all good, right? The guy's like, yeah, that's awesome. Now look at what Jesus says. Hey, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. (laughs) Whoa, what? That's like balloon. (laughs) Did Jesus just full on destroy him? Was that a warning? That was brutal. Dude, you thought 38 years of paralysis was bad. Woo! Don't be messing around with that sin stuff or something worse is going to happen to you. Worse? What's worse than that? Okay, there's two ways to look at this. We can either look at it and say, well, maybe Jesus was tying in the fact that he would say something practical like this. Hey, 
Dude, look at me in the eye. Okay, you and I both know how you used to live, right? Let's go back 38 years ago. You were pretty hardcore, all right? I'm not saying that I was watching, but I was watching. Okay, <laughs> you did a lot of stuff. You caught the disease that you had. It knocked out your body. You can't walk. So your choices really wrecked yourself. Okay, can we start making better choices? Okay, I healed you, but you know what? You already, your choices already got you into a bad situation. Let's not do that again. That could be it. He could be very practical or he could be doing evangelism. Here's what I mean. Hey, I fixed your body, but you know what's worse than suffering in this life? Suffering in the next. You better stop with the sin thing or you got a hell problem. How do you stop sinning? That's the weird part, right? Because the Bible says you can't stop sinning. So how does that work? There's actually only one way in the Bible that you can stop sinning. And what's that? The cross. Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future. Therefore, the sinning is no longer on your record. It's on Jesus's record. Therefore, you sin no more. And that's the only way you will have eternal life. Is that what he was saying? Here's something fascinating. Most scholars believe this guy wasn't a believer and never became one. Does God heal non-Christians? Yep. Why? Because he loves them. Same reason he heals Christians. He is not healing them contingent upon something else. Sometimes he just heals them. And when he heals them, obviously faith was not the element. It was love. It was grace. It was kindness. It was freedom. He does what God does, which is he sets captives free. That's pretty awesome. Our God is good all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes sin is tied to our condition, but most of the time it's not. Let me give you an example. Just listen to this. Don't turn there. You can just write down these, these notes. John 9, 1 through 3. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What does that mean? It means his suffering was purposeful, and it brings glory to God. There you go. Had nothing to do with sin. Second one, Luke 13, 1 through 3. This is a little bit confusing at the beginning. There were some present, there were some people around at that very time who had told Jesus about the Galilean people whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, meaning he had murdered them. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than every other Galilean because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, everyone's going to die. Or what about those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell? Remember the construction accident and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, everybody dies. What was his point? No, it's not somebody's a worse sinner, and that's why they have it in their life. Man, I have cancer. I wonder what I did wrong. You were born. That's what you did wrong. You lived in a messed up world with hot, you know, incredibly psychotic food and stuff that we're doing, and we're wrecking our world. Okay, yeah, you got cancer because we're in a horrible place. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It doesn't mean that somehow you were a worse sinner than me. That is not true. Now, are there some consequences? Sure. It says right here, Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, and he's speaking about communion. 
Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay, no, there's consequences. You go, well, it was the whole reason that I got hit by the bus because I jumped in front of it. Yeah, actually it was. Uh, that, that was your problem. Okay, so there is consequence. But we got to quit playing the game that we now know why somebody's hurting. You don't know why somebody's hurting. And here's the thing. If we're going to play the sin game, every one of us should be laden with disease. Okay. Is it sometimes? Yes. Is it other times? No. So what do we do? Walk humbly and have grace. Stop assuming that you know everything. You don't know everything. But what's so beautiful about all this is that God comes in and sometimes the answer is, I'd love to heal you today. That'd be awesome. Suffering can be more valuable than healing. Sometimes healing can be more valuable than suffering. Who's to make the determination which is which? God alone. It is not for us to know. So while we hurt, we praise. When we get healed, we praise. When we feel good, we praise. And when we feel bad, we praise. The glory of the story of Job was he said, even when I felt like God was killing me, I will still worship his name. That is the heart of Christianity. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we say that you are good. We say that you are great. You are awesome. You are mighty. And God, we don't see the full picture. If we saw it like you saw it, we would agree with you on everything. And one day, Lord Jesus, we will see you face to face, see your love, and we will get it. But until then, Lord, we hand over to you our judgment and we say, you make the call. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how the answer is supposed to go. But Father, we beg of you that if there is an opportunity for you to relieve us of our pain and it would be glorifying to you, if it would be a blessing in our lives, then would you heal us? But God, if our healing would mean destruction for our souls, if healing would mean pain for others, then may it be so as you have already set it into play. So God, we take off any of our authority and we give it all over to you. Be glorified, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen.